Welcome to another episode of Roll for Enterprise, the squishy heart at the center of IT. We are joined today by Lilac and Mike, while Dominic is in the Swiss Alps doing yoga with goats. Yes, you heard me right. He's doing yoga with goats. Can't wait to hear about that, Dominic. Let's get started with yet another insane earnings week from the cloud providers. Mike, what are your thoughts on the cloud aspect from the earnings this week with the big three? Uh, I think, you know, we last quarter we didn't talk about it because it's like, okay, they're growing as, as they normally do. But I think the growth numbers, I mean, yesterday night, we're, we're recording here on Friday, and, and yesterday night AWS uh, announced, and they grew 37% quarterly uh, AWS revenue. I mean, it's just astonishing that they can still grow at, at that pace. Uh, Azure, 51% revenue growth year over year. Alphabet tripled revenue. Um, of course, you know, GCP is still like losing money there. So that's a bit weird because I'm pretty sure Azure and AWS are not. But I mean, they continue to grow and grow at rapid rates. I mean, and, and you know, I, I sit back and I'm like, OK, is this new business that's being pulled out um, or is this hardware continuing to move to cloud? And and you know that's that's the hard piece uh, to tell in all this, but it's just like it continues to be rapid and large growth. I mean, it's it's incredible when you when you really look at it. Yeah, I think you know, for me, it's interesting. Some of these legacy hardware vendors, and you know, from my aspect, even some of the legacy network vendors who who think that this is topped off or leveled off. I mean, thirty seven percent growth think about that this is not growth from 10 million you know to 14 million this is this is serious growth this is in the billions so i think you can't discount that and, and even if some of this growth is on prem even if it's azure stack even if it's outpost from aws they're growing and if they're growing on prem that should say something the growth to me is unreal i i think that one of the things that we we have always underestimated in the cloud market and actually it predates the cloud market to the VM market was the fact that when it becomes easier to consume computing, you consume more of it, right? And so the analogy I think is that if you're, if you're going to the well with a bucket to get water, the amount of water your household is gonna use is pretty much constrained by the fact that you've got a human schlepping to the freaking well and getting the freaking water and bringing it back. And guess what? You're not gonna take a shower every day or three times a day as I am likely to do. And all of a sudden you get plumbing and look, showers, everybody, we're going to take baths. My God, don't you smell weird? And like, it's a completely different consumption model. And so people keep thinking of it. And they thought about VMs as like how many, how many physical boxes will turn into VMs. And they talk yep. about how many on-prem yep. systems move to the cloud. And the truth is that base is irrelevant. A lot more computing is being consumed because there's now a spigot and not a well. I think it's I think it's apps, it's data, it's AI. Everybody's doing everything, and they're not doing it with they're not doing it with on-prem hardware. It's just too hard to get new hardware. And when you can just yeah turn on the tap like you said, Lilac, and just consume, consume, consume. So they continue to to grow at a pace that's just incredible. I like to use the word schlepping. I haven't heard that word in a while. That's that's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm in Massachusetts, so we have a completely different lingo up here. <laughs> and then I plumbing. I'm I'm in finishing my construction project. We're now doing drywall. When you say plumbing, yeah, I re replaced a lot of cast iron. So when you say plumbing, it sticks in my head. No, but you're right, Lila. Like it's uh, it's it's easy to consume. We've said that for a while, but the, 
the growth numbers to your point, Mike, are just insane. Microsoft as well. I mean, just their growth and you know, you can't you can't really say, okay, it's due to big acquisitions, they acquired revenue. They're not acquiring revenue. We keep forgetting about that. Usually when you get the size, you acquire revenue. They're they're acquiring companies, but they're minuscule. They're it's just pure demand, it seems like. And uh it's I, I don't know what else to say other than it's unreal. And there are some times that I think, you know, okay. We will probably see the beginning of the end, and we I think we have a little bit the way we know it, but it doesn't mean they're going away. They're growing on-prem. They're, yeah, they're just and, – and do you think it's that they're not selling to the same buyers that some of these legacy companies are? I wonder I wonder how much of this is like – you know, we haven't really done – no one has. The buyers probably have shifted on them, right? I mean, what do you see, Lilac and Mike? I mean, there used to be shadow IT. That was the initial thrust of this, right? Is that people would look at Mike and be like, six weeks for a server, fuck that, and went off and bought something from AWS, right? And and that was like the the narrative. I think it's no longer shadow. I think now everybody just has their corporate account with AWS and there's no shadow associated with it. But I, I think there's a broader buyer community. I would be really interested in where that revenue is coming from specifically. Are we talking about base? cloud functionality or have they just gotten real good at the upsell and the added features and the added capabilities because we looked at that chart of top um, of top services on AWS in, in a prior discussion that we all had and I, I think I would be willing to bet that the money is actually in services that enable you to consume more core resources at a faster, easier clip, basically the spray nozzle on the end of your hose that allows you to really power wash that, that yard, you know, that, that sidewalk, but in doing so, also use gallons and gallons and gallons of water. Yeah, we talk about tech producers at work, like, uh, you know, employees who create tech, and, and they're they're really kind of developers or, uh, you know, or just building products that um, go to market or, or help in the business. And yeah, they're, they're not in IT, but they can turn up services, they can consume more. And I mean, they're the ones making the revenue. So they know what what they can spend, what they can't spend, and they turn it on. Now there there has been against AWS a bit of a backlash this week in the in the Twitterverse about how things are relatively inexpensive until you get to data transfer costs. And data transfer costs are it is like a cash cow to AWS. And I think this negative backlash that they're starting to see on on like the egress costs is is going to have to make them change some things. So I don't know if the revenue, because remember what they're reporting is not growth of compute or memory or, you know, the base components, what they're really kind of touting in their growth numbers is revenue growth and how much of that is, is artificial or, or, you know, them increasing costs and so on and so forth. So yeah, they're getting hit on this, um, like the, the, the data com cost, but at the same time, I can tell you from hardware, um, if you, if you try to quote some servers from, uh, from some of the server manufacturers, they will refuse to quote you right now. Why? Because they can't tell you when they can deliver and they're worried about giving you a, a quote for something that they don't know what it's going to cost when they can't deliver it. So it's, it's even hard to get server quotes today. And, you know, if I can't get a server, server quote, what are my options? My options are to go to the cloud. So, you know, it's, it's going to continue, uh, but I think there's going to be some fine-tuning of the model. Um, but I think the growth continues because the business is going to push, the developers are going to push, the consumption is going to continue to grow. You know, and there's a ripple-down effect of that. So working at a, uh, I'll call it a legacy hardware company, you know, these sales reps, by the way, they're not happy because they don't get paid until, until items ship. So they're talking, you know, lead times are a year out, Mike. You're probably hearing that. And they're being yep. told, 
I'll be honest, they're being told, hey, don't, well, some companies are saying, don't tell, don't tell them, just tell them you don't know. when in fact, it's a year out, which I think is uh, probably not the right thing to do. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's insane. And then, you know, if, you know, think about it from an employee perspective, you want to work for a legacy company where you can, you know, sell solutions and not get paid for a year. You have to be there at least a year until it ships. Or do you want to go to a software company? And let's be honest, you can sell it and get paid, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to be on the on the former, right? It's the, the ripple down effect into these organizations is interesting too. The talent suck. I mean, from some of these legacy companies to the cloud companies, we don't really talk about that as much either, but they're consuming all the talent out there and we know there's a shortage of talent. So just all the way around, they seem to be winning. Yeah, now AWS also announced that they were going to open two new data centers yesterday. I think Spain. one of them- this, in... Did they announce Spain, Mike? Uh, UAE, and I forget where the other one is. It might be, it might be Spain. Yeah. And, and I, you know, how do you, how do you fill it? I mean, are they able to get allocation on, on semi better than, than other companies? And, and you, you know, it's, it's price wars. And if you're making that much money and you're really in a, in a war with your competitors, I mean, you know, you will do things that the regular monolithic companies won't even attempt. So it's, they do, they um, get priority. They get priority, Mike. It's, they they, they will, and they'll continue to buy priority. Getting... You know, the, the shock too this week is when Apple, well, when Apple kind of had their conference call, they said that for the first time they were talking about a, a semiconductor shortage and potentially not being able to ship devices. And you know, Apple from a supply chain perspective really has their act together. They've secured their 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 supply chain for the next few years. And if they're complaining about that, I mean we're not at the end of the semiconductor shortage and the semiconductor shortage is probably also accelerating this, this cloud growth to, to a point that, um, that they need to ramp up as well. It's interesting. Is this where we see maybe a different shift? Let's just say where, you know, um, you know, cloud is even more important to the business. It already has been, I think, and we've just talked about that different buyers, but maybe now, it was already tough, let's just say, for some of these legacy companies, for at least from a networking perspective, I'll be honest, where it's just keeping the lights on. A lot of these network engineers are they're keeping the lights on. They don't even have a budget to keep, you know, to, to go ahead and buy additional equipment because they're shrinking, not growing. And I just wonder if this is going to accelerate that. If businesses just sit there and say, look, we have to compete and forget it. We'll just, you know, we'll, let's find a cloud um, option of doing this or instead of adding a data center of our own or let's maybe we just close it down and just, I, I don't know. It just makes me wonder, is this really the, the paradigm shift. I mean, we've seen one big one, but is this the evolution? We've seen the revolution. Is this another evolution? I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. I think it's been ongoing for a long time, long time. Well, one thing is certain, it's not dying. So, you know, um, some of these legacy companies that like, want to go out and tout that, um, you know, cloud is dying. I think they've proven this week that it's not. So let's transition. Uh, Lilac, you have a topic. Is that right? Oh. I mean, I could, we could talk about things that are dying. Would that be something that would be fun as a nice segue? Um, Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I was thinking of um, this week and generally in my life uh, that I felt like I wanted to really hash out with Mike in particular was the notion oh, of boy. what happens to products as they reach the end of their sort of useful existence. And we all know that some products go into decline and maybe that's 30 years later, but they do. Right. And so, like, for example, like what, one of the more um, topical ones right now is the ActiveX situation. Right. ActiveX has been ish deprecated ish. And if you read all of the Microsoft literature on this, the words around it are unbelievably tangled. It's sort of 
we are no longer going to have supported IE with ActiveX and you're going to move to Edge and on alternate Thursdays, Edge might be able to support your ActiveX, but only if you configure it to include the toucan in the upper left corner, et cetera, right? And, and there are ramifications downstream to ActiveX being not quite dead yet. Um, and I would argue that this is a very kludgy rollout of an end of life experience. And it led me to think, well, what is the right way to do this? You're a company with a set of products. Let's pretend some of them are dying. Sometimes they die for, for real sort of fatal gunshot wounds like security problems, right? And sometimes they die a slow and painful death um, in hospice. What is the right behavior vis-a-vis -vis your customers to communicate and be, and be fair about it, right? But at the same time, also acknowledge that perhaps the end is near. And I say this sort of recalling that one of my good friends told me that she was using a piece of BMC software for a full seven years after it was no longer supported end of life in production. And like, there was, a, you know, we all popped some champagne when she finally got it out of there. But like, you know, that's, um, that's a behavior that you see, right? And particularly with perpetual software where you can't actually shut it down the way you could with the SaaS service and say, sorry, peace out. So I guess the question, the opening question is, Mike, like, how do you like to experience the death of a product in your por portfolio? Man, it's not easy. It's not, you know, but I think you see it coming because typically they'll announce an end of life and then push it out and then push it out and then push it out. And every time they push it out, you kind of feel this sense of relief. But let's let's face it. And, and that's what's pretty much happened with ActiveX, right? But I think the first time you hear like, oh, they're going to end of life it, you, you need to get your game plan together. The challenge with like ActiveX, it's, it's not a product, it's a component, right? Right, right? And the challenge with the component is, where have you put this component in your, in your, in your environment? And you know, like a lot of companies do not have a good grasp on where this component is in, in some of their applications. So there's a lot of work that goes into it uh, to figure out, okay, where is it? Let's start either redesign, uh, redo, whatever. I mean, and you need to, I think sometimes the challenge internally is to convince people that we need to do this. And yes, people always want to like, hey, can we hobble along? Can we make it work? Like to your friend, you said that that kept like for seven years, something that was end of life. But security is a different beast these days. And I think the security people are the ones that really push us like, hey, it's end of life. We need to go uh, go about getting rid of it. And you know, let's face it, IT budgets are not growing, right? We spoke just before about how, you know, the people spending the money are the developers, the technology producers in the business. That's where the money is going and IT budgets are shrinking. So if you do decide to keep something and hobble it along for seven years or no matter how much, it's going to cost, you know, it's costs go down on everything. Everything commoditized over time, but those costs will stay consistent and, and that's the problem because you can reallocate those funds elsewhere. So, you know, take the pain right away and try to get rid of it as soon as you can. And I think this is where some companies like hesitate and it's it's hard to get buy-in and, and bring people around the table. I, I think companies should really have principles around this and stick to those principles and apply them each time. The problem is those tech producers are the ones using the components, sucking it up. And sometimes you just don't know. And then it dies and, and all of a sudden you're, things stop working and, and everybody's like running around like chickens out of head trying to figure out why. And it's, it's tough. I mean, but it's always going to be, it's always going to be tough. Right. I wonder if, 
you know, they, like you said, they do this sort of thing, right? Where they're like, it's, it's, it's dead. Well, maybe another six months. Well, maybe another year. Well, maybe we'll bake something into something. And you can almost feel that somebody on Wall Street with a lot of money called them and said, can you just extend that just for a hot second for me? Right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, that person has more power than we do. And, and I get that. Um, I wonder to me, right, is there as the, as the person producing the technology and Zach, maybe you feel this as well, like, I would prefer to talk to Mike and say, Mike, look, I just want you to know that the blah blah application or software service is maybe not where we're orienting our ongoing investment going forward. And we're going to make sure that it's, you know, current to operating systems and bugs are fixed. But but please don't submit an enhancement request because it's going to not be a thing for you. And then at the same time, like potentially commiserate reductions in support costs or, or not, depending on whether it's going to take, you know, custom engineers to fix your problems but like is that sort of early warning early discussion more helpful than this you know end of life in 2021 actually 2022 actually 2024 the and the absolutely the earlier you know the better it is because then you start to get like a mindset around it and and you start to say okay are we replacing are we rebuilt like the options are you have much many more options early on because you know you have a timeline and a runway. Whereas if you wait last minute, your options and your runway, ha- hey, there is none, right? right. And, and then it's like some tough decisions and potentially some decisions that, yeah, may leave you exposed as a company, depending what you're going to do. Uh, it's, it's, it's always a challenge in, on that, uh, that, that frontier. And, and the problem is like the products, I mean, we see it, like there's a proliferation of products, of, of components, of, of features, Everywhere now, right? I mean, look no further than uh, than AWS with all their uh, all their features. So it's really, I, I think the other thing that companies maybe are not doing as well as they should is they should be challenging what they're putting into their environment, and and kind of analyzing that a bit more than they really do today, because people can just go to that AWS catalog and pick like boom, 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 whatever they want. Third party app store in there. Let's use this third party. And then next thing you know, something happens down the road or a component and a component and a component or the supply chain of one of those vendors, you know, something happens and, and then you're you're stuck. I, I think this is becoming more of a reality uh, to everybody. And I think some of the, the supply chain attacks have meant that people have had to retool some of the tools they're even using to develop internally. It's it's really tough. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not easy. Do you think there's any way that we can develop more transparency on that dependency map or supply chain? Because I think that that's the ActiveX problem, right? Is that it's sort of buried in a thousand applications. Um, where, and, and it's a security issue. I think you're right. Security is the primary motivator here. I, I don't know of anybody, but maybe it's just my lack of knowledge that, that helps an IT department understand the genesis of their hodgepodge. I think everybody wants to go, like, let's go to basics on 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 the on the um, kind of city map of IT, everybody will go to a CMDB, but CMDBs are, oh man, how do I say this? That was a CMDBs, great idea. <laughs> it was a great idea, but they don't they don't fit the use case anymore. They're not designed in the right way. They're not now. And ServiceNow would probably like disagree with me and say, no, if you do this and do that, but no way. I, I think the the way they're designed, the way the way 
they're conceptualized has to change. And uh, I haven't done a lot of research around it, but I'm sure there's people working on it. But I think that that city map of, of IT has to change um, drastically. So I, I think there everybody has a hard time understanding components and mixes, which is why you hear some companies like we're a .NET company. We only use .NET. We don't open it up to anything else because they know and they can control that. Whereas if they start opening it up to, to everything else, adding that transparency, mm-hmm. then there's a lot more exposure, a lot more components. It gets a lot harder to manage long term. So there's give and take, I think, on both ends, I would say. I mean, I think that's a real luxury position, right? Being able to say I'm a .NET company and nothing else. That implies that you know .NET serves your needs, but also it implies that you aren't acquiring companies that are running on Java, right? Like there's this, yeah. and, and you yeah. know if you're in a, you can do that as a startup. You can do that as a in a in a certain set of constrained environments. You can have very you know golden images and 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 hard lines, but the minute you've merged with another organization you know, that kind of conversion is not something that's straightforward at all. Well, no one's really using Java anymore now that Oracle has them, right? Or am I, am I wrong? I, I feel that that might be an exaggeration <laughs> of the truth. <laughs> I, I could agree. I'm just, just poking, just poking yeah. right there. Um, uh, I mean, you know, nobody's, but, but you're right. You're right. It limits, it limits abilities of companies to, uh, to look beyond uh, their current tool set and, and potentially, yeah, be overtaken by better software because, People have different options. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it, it's um, yeah, not an easy one to answer, to be honest. No, and I think that I guess my like more than academic perspective on this is, you know, how do we make this as fair to the ecosystem, to the customers, but also at the same time, right? As a vendor, you're interested in in maintaining revenue where that's appropriate, and you're interested in maintaining relationships, and you're interested in all these other factors, and. Um, I think I believe that that this notion of how you go about end of life um, around your products actually might be one of the more impactful and least discussed impacts on your business, right? Because we talk about how good your support is, and we talk about your contracts, and you talk about your sales team, but we don't really talk about the fact that that this is a negative experience that's going to have negative. I use right; it could be a negative experience that happens with almost any vendor relationship that lasts. A decade or more. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's um, negative. It's, it's more difficult because I mean, you might have a roadmap and all these improvements, and then everything stops because you need to take care of something that should have never come up, and it comes up, and that's the tough part. It's like, and you try to explain that to, to whoever your stakeholders are that yeah, you know, all these improvements that we had planned, it stops because we need to do this. Some mm-hmm. are understanding and some are not. It gets it gets tough. In, so in so let me throw something out there. Let me throw, you know, functions serverless out there. We haven't spoke about that in a while, right? We talked about mm-hmm. applications mm-hmm. dying and uh, you know, I think there are some some solutions out there. I think even that world's changing and, and being disrupted. So Kubernetes, Kubernetes. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? And, and where that plays in all of this? I'm not a fan of Kubernetes. I'm gonna go on the record and tell you. It's a time suck, and you can tell me whatever you want. I think it's good for the people that are providing services like AWS and everyone else for behind the scenes. But oh, hold on, time, time out. Kubernetes taking us. We've been talking about this for. 
No, no. Hold on, hold on. Let me just say one thing about Kubernetes because I need to stop him. Google's growth, uh, cloud growth is like four times what it was a year ago, right? And most of it is propelled by TensorFlow and Kubernetes. So there is something there. Um, but let's let's leave it at that. Well, so hold on, it, hold on. Google's cloud growth is it's kind of an oxymoron. I yeah, they're, <laughs> they're growing a little bit. Okay, Google's playing with cloud. Yeah, that's fun. You know, yeah, when... Microsoft like, oh, look at Google. They're so cute. Give them more Legos to play with. Hey, we're gonna you go know, outside and get the real work done. Yeah, yeah. You, you know where I had to laugh? Like, give them an I, iPad. Give Google an iPad. <laughs> oh, we don't want to do that. Give them an Android device. Let them play with that for a little bit. We're, we're going off. complete off topic, but YouTube let me. TV. We gotta let, go outside. Let, let me share that. So I don't know if you guys have looked at the Gartner Magic Quadrant, which is like kind of comical, but there's six dots on it for cloud. Six, six dots. Like, let's face it, there's only three. And, and two, I think, of the three are like the Chinese, the tenant and, and Ali Cloud. And then there's like IBM all the way at the bottom because I guess IBM has something. Or if you leave out IBM, you probably get like a nasty call from IBM. But I mean, there's three, there's three cloud players. Like everybody else that says they're doing cloud they're not doing cloud. Like the, there's, there's three players, right? So yeah. Look, I'll I have to tell you, I, I deeply love that analyst at Gartner. She's a brilliant woman. And um, I was at one of the clouds that would have hoped to be on her magic quadrant for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I would say, um, I would say she's a very intelligent person. Well, Lydia is going to be listening to this because she's all over us when we talk cloud. Oh, is she? Hi, Lydia. Yes, she will be all over this. Uh, and Lydia, we, we got your your tweet uh, several months ago, and I think maybe this will be the first one we do with an actual transcript for you. But yeah, <laughs> you know, really, you know, this whole Google, I mean, they put a lot into Kubernetes, right? They're always, they're always talking about their solution, but let's get real. Like I, we've all said, I mean, they've got a good play at the edge. TensorFlow is a great play. I think that's good. But come on, I mean, are they really taken seriously? And I, I think you know, I, I really do believe that there is something there. Um, but I think it's a specialized application, right? So I, I think there are people take. Look, they went, they went up to four billion. So you know, they increased by three billion from a billion. They're still losing six hundred million, but I, I don't think you can, uh, you could take it for granted, right? I think the creepy thing around Google is uh and, and i don't know if anybody's spoken to any like jcp gcp salespeople or, or jc gcp people but they're always asking for your data which feels like really creepy right it's like when do you think we could get the data it's like mm, you're google that's not something you should probably be saying and you know how do you tell them that it's it's kind of uh it's kind of awkward yeah google feels a little sleazy but at the same time they're the outlier. I mean, let's see where they where they come to. I, I feel that Google told you this 15 years ago. I remember <laughs> even 20 years ago, I remember Google came to recruit at Sloan and I'm sure it was like a fourth tier flunky, right? But like I was in business school and Google came to recruit and they said our overarching belief is that all data should be free and open to all people at all times. That was their, their like, their, their, you know, giant tagline. And, and I thought to myself, well, you know, fuck that noise. You don't get access to all of my data and I don't want it free at all times. And I, I don't think you have even the vaguest understanding of HIPAA or whatever. Right. But like the, that whole philosophy and notion that if only we can bring all the information into a centralized data lake, 
that is Google and that the world will therefore be a better place has been their absolute mission since their inception. So yeah, they're going to ask for your data. Yeah, absolutely. And then they're going to just, just take that metadata, not the actual data, just the metadata. They'll learn a little bit about it. And then before you know it, um, yeah, their dream is, is a lie. <laughs> and, and that's, and, and I think that is an inhibitor that that's the real inhibitor to them growing growing more it's the same thing with with amazon it, it's amazing how many like that aws is growing so much considering like a lot of companies should take them as a competitor and i mean any any market they want to go into it, like you should feel threatened if they say one day that they're going into the same market as you're in you should feel threatened and i think that's why a lot of you know the enterprise still loves microsoft you can talk all you want about all these others but the the bigger companies still love Microsoft, still trust Microsoft, and, and Microsoft's there with you like lock and step, and, and they want to see you do better. Whereas Amazon and Google, you always question their overall overall motives. But but AWS has built like Google used to be the cult. The new cult is AWS. I mean, that's the new cult. And think about well, the it. enterprise cult. Yes. 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 AT and T is placing their five G network in Azure. I mean, we, we, we spoke about this three weeks ago, right? I mean, yeah. Microsoft, I think Azure, I'm hearing more and more Azure than I have before. It used to always be Office 365. And here goes Microsoft again, starting to hear more about Azure and the enterprise than I did a year ago, than I did six months ago. So it, it, the acquisitions are making, the solutions are bringing to market. They are, they are doing it. And let's remember, they're the old guard and they've reinvented themselves. Don't know what happened to IBM, but you know, look at Microsoft. They've been around just as, you know, they've been around a long time. Not just as long, but a long time. And they've done it. Yeah, they had this uh, dark period called the Balmer years, but but they've uh, they've <laughs> survived that now. So luckily, uh, basketball is keeping him busy these days. So, you know, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. But, you know, you, you mentioned 5G of, of uh, AT&T going to Azure, but one of the big... Uh, things that Amazon announced yesterday or, or contributed their AWS growth is the Qualcomm 5G infrastructure going into AWS. So I, I guess people are doing it. Why do you trust them? I'm not sure. Where do you keep it? And then at the same time, Intel is saying like, yeah, we're going to build Qualcomm chips. It's like, man, what just happened to Qualcomm? Like what, what, like, I don't know. It's just kind of awkward. So well, what happened there, I think, well, if we want to dive in real quick, is, you know, there's no secret how Qualcomm feels about Apple, right, making their own modem chips, right? They lost out on that. They're not happy there. Apple's making their own chips, you know, off the, um, you know, off the um, arm, you know, uh, you know, the risk um, uh, plans, you know, so I, I think there, there's also some little bit of, I wouldn't say politics, but Hey, look, Intel, let's let's work together. AWS, let's work together. And Apple, you know, this is a shot over the bow to you as well from from Intel a little bit and and Qualcomm. But yeah, I mean, you're right. That's that's think about what we're saying. I mean, yes, I, I think in these relationships, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I think at some point they they want to they want to take more of their share when they see like a company like Apple making so much money. They're not you know, they're not happy with their share anymore and they want to take more and more of it. It's like man, you're not the differentiating factor here. Apple is like, just live with it. You need to look at other ways of growing business, growing revenue, so on and so forth. It's just, uh, it's it's corporate greed, right? I mean, that's the way I see it. So, hey, you built your bed, now you lay in it. 
Was that too harsh? Was that too harsh? Why Never, I, like I don't know that it was too harsh. I think it is not news, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they, they all, yeah, yeah. The, the problem is they all make themselves look like victims in the news, you know? Like they'll go and like, oh yeah, you're, you're a big victim. Like uh, Apple dumped you um, from, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... that's what the PR team is paid to do. They're doing <laughs> great work. <laughs> Here come well, here come the marketing spin guys. Gosh, gosh, yeah. Well, just so everybody remembers, I'm the only realist on this podcast. So let's really? keep that in mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> no way, no way. Uh, I think Lilac might even have you the. She she breaks it down. She's pretty real. Oh, um, well, I at least make sure that we have the adult content warnings on all. Of yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like we we have to continue this discussion when Dominic comes back uh, around the chips and what's going on there. You're right. You know, Qualcomm, Intel. Um, there's a lot to discuss there, and and even even around Google and, and TensorFlow, what's going on there? So, um, what I'm most excited about is to hear about his goat yoga experience in the in the Swiss Alps. So let's totally let's true. wait for it. Yeah, yeah hopefully I'm, you'll have I'm, pictures. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. If there are pictures, he will never live them down. But yes, we'll ask for pictures. So, um, <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Roll for Enterprise, the squishy heart of IT. I don't say that as well as Dominic. Thankfully, he'll be back next week. Um, please reach out to us. Any feedback, any comments, any questions, or any ideas you have for an upcoming episode, um, you can reach us on Roll for Enterprise and number four on Twitter or on LinkedIn, Roll for Enterprise. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.